we have finally reached a point where we have a large enough development and engineering team that we do have folks who are dedicated firefighters, as I would describe them, and then dedicated builders. So we have both on engineering and in development, folks who focus on bug fixes, you know, this is going wrong today, how do we fix it? And then we have folks who are focused on building those longer term solutions. And that that helps us attack both ends of the never-ending to-do list, so to speak. The folks who are building forward-looking things are able to be much more selective. The folks who are putting out the fires focus on the biggest fire that's happening today. And we're doing that both in engineering and in development. Welcome to Founder Chats by Bear Metrics, where we chat with founders and hear how they started and grew their businesses. This week, Brian talked with John Penland, Chief Operating Officer at Pinsta. With over six years of experience working remotely in tech, and over 10 years working with customer-facing teams across multiple industries, John stepped into the role of COO of Pinsta in 2018, where he's helped grow the team from four employees to over 250 worldwide. And although he didn't write his first line of HTML until he was 25 years old, Within three years, John was working full-time in technology, first as a freelance writer for technical websites, and eventually as a support engineer at Kinsta. From there, he moved into management roles, initially as chief customer officer, and now as COO. This was a really awesome episode, and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Hey, John, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. How are you? I'm doing great, Brian. I appreciate the chance to be here. Absolutely. Um, so like we usually get started, I'd love to hear a little bit of how you started on your uh, entrepreneurial journey. Right. So I am somebody who joined Kinsta really early on, right? So when I joined Kinsta, uh, it was a really small company and I was really looking for an opportunity to be part of that startup journey without taking the risk (laughs) of truly starting from nothing. But prior to Kinsta, I had spent some time as a freelancer and and I I reached a point where I was like, okay, I, I either need to take this freelance content thing that I'm doing and I need to turn it into a true business where it's not just me and I need to start thinking about hiring employees and uh, serving in more of an editor managerial capacity and or or I could go join a startup that already has its legs under it and enjoy watching a business grow without taking all of that risk of starting everything from scratch myself right and for me I you know I had several kids at home and uh, and that sort of played a, a really large piece in my calculus, which was I've got to have income, right? Like I couldn't, I couldn't run the risk of being without income. And so uh, that's how I ended up at at Kinsta is I kind of surveyed the landscape uh, from where I was before and Kinsta really bubbled to the surface as a place I wanted to find out what it's like to grow a company. Cool. That's really great. I'm glad you shared that because it does sort of feel like the common advice. And even on this show, we talk about a lot of stories and people either kind of find themselves falling into starting companies or um, actively pursuing it. Um, and uh, I I feel like we, we have a tendency and we, we kind of skip over those earlier stages of like, hey, well, what did you do along the way? And how did you, yeah. how did you get sort of the prerequisite experience? So you had kind of a pretty 
I don't know if you'd characterize it this way, but to me, it's kind of fortunate that you sort of you, you simultaneously got to get the experience of, you know, running a business, joining mm-hmm. a company that, you know, scaling very quickly. Um, but you also maybe unknowingly kind of also got that entrepreneurial like, I don't mm-hmm. know, did you join Kinsta with the idea of like, hey, one day I'm going to run this place? Or <laughs> like, was that your mentality? It, no, I, I didn't expect that to happen. So for the sake of folks listening, I joined Kinsta as a support engineer, right? So Mm. I I joined to be support engineer, I think number four, there were three others in support. One of them needed to move over to really do more engineering development work. And so I came in, I guess maybe there were five. Anyways, there were just a couple of us. And Mm. I came in just as an individual, individual contributor, we needed a support engineer. And my philosophy was, I'm at this company where I feel like they're building something really special. Their reputation in the space is really, really strong. They place a very high emphasis on customer experience, on doing right by their customers, so you could feel good about working there and doing the work. And they were nailing the content marketing piece, which is the piece that I had been involved in or that I had seen from the outside. And so I, I kind of saw those pieces and it was it was one of those things where I saw what I thought was going to be a future success story. And I was just like, how can I get into that story in any fashion? Mm-hmm. And and the the door that I could find a way to open was that support engineer door. So I stepped through that door and then just started putting my hand up saying, can I help with this? Can I help with that? Because at a small company, I think we were about 15 folks when I joined mm-hmm. at a small company, everybody's wearing three, four five hats. And so as I saw a need that I thought I could contribute to, I just started sticking my hand up for those things. But yeah, did I think I was going to be chief operating officer? Absolutely not. Uh, so I was shocked, you know, six months after I joined when I was promoted to managing the support team. Right. And so mm-hmm. I, that happened. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that you know, they're promoting me, somebody they've never met because I was fully remote, right? right. They're promoting mm-hmm. me, somebody they've never met into this managerial role. And and that first step exceeded my expectations. So yeah, the, the whole journey was quite a surprise. Right. Everything was just, everything beyond that has been the cherry on the top. Absolutely. Ever since. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's really cool. I'm curious, like, and maybe you don't know, but do you, do you have an idea around what the company saw in you, even from afar on the remote team that made them say like, maybe with specific actions that you were taking mm-hmm. or maybe something that they saw, but what, what was it that kind yeah. of you think got them to say like, Hey, let's try to give John, like, let's, let's bump him up at one and see, see, what, see happens. what happens. Right. Yeah. You know, that'd be a good question for the folks who actually promoted me. And I've never asked them that question. Yeah. <laughs> My sense, you know, having gone through that process and, and seen what we value today, I, I would point to two things. Uh, one is, is just practical. Uh, I was a native English speaker in a company that was actively trying to engage the uh, America's markets, mm-hmm. uh, the international WordPress user market, which operates in English. And they, they didn't have a lot of native English speakers on the team. They had none in support who were native English speakers. There were some, you know, everybody did speak English because we were providing support in English. But right. I brought a native level fluency, which mm-hmm. allowed me to engage in 
conversations that otherwise we were having a little bit of trouble tracking with. So mm -hmm. I think that was just a very practical piece. But I think what they saw once I was in that role was that I, something we place a really high value on within the company is a concept we call ownership, which is just sort of this idea that if I see a problem, even if it's not my problem, I'm not going to just ignore it. And so when, when a problem comes up in support, I'm not going to just try and get this ticket closed. When, whatever I identify through this process, I may identify an issue with our platform that we need to work on, an issue with our process, an issue with how we communicate with our customers that we need to fix. And when I saw those things, I, in a diplomatic and in a trying to be effective right not just not just complaining not just right. not just whining not mm -hmm. not being difficult but saying here's an issue i see and here's a solution that i see to that issue right and i, I think that's one of the things uh, that sometimes gets missed with folks when they see a problem is that they'll point at the problem without also carrying the solution along and a big part of what we talk about when we talk about ownership within the company is when you see that problem don't ignore it and don't just highlight the problem. Go ahead. Hmm. If, if you are able, go ahead and work towards presenting a solution as well. And so I, I think when I brought those things to the table, you know, I think the, the native English speaker was just sort of a nice practical thing. But right. as I saw problems, I took ownership of them and I proposed solutions. And this was, you know, things that weren't necessarily within my area of responsibility because we were a small company and there were things that were nobody's area of responsibility. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right? probably most things. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. so in those areas, I was just like stepping in and saying, I see this issue. Here's what I think we should do. What do you think? And, mm -hmm. and I think that they valued that sort of ownership mentality. Do you think that came from your experience on the freelance side? Kind of maybe you already had that sort of experience of being the, the one person shop of having to yeah, so it's actually a little bit interesting to consider because if you're if you're one person, then you kind of know everything's your responsibility. But then mm -hmm. when you hit 15 people, it's like there are these things. We your probably appetite for what you go after is much larger. Um, but then also, you know, all, I mean, I guess as soon as you have two people, there becomes a divide and things can fall through that yeah. crack. So I wonder, do you think it's maybe your experience on that freelance side that got you to the mindset of like, well, if I see a problem, I'm going to, I'm going to try to solve it to the best yeah. of my ability. Yeah, no, I, I actually think it goes back to my pre-technology career. So before I was in the WordPress technology space, I spent seven years working in a completely different industry. I was a sales manager in the <laughs> rotating equipment industry. I sold water pumps to cities and states, okay. municipal governments. And in that position, I was responsible for the life cycle of the sales process from the first point of contact, which was where a civil engineer contacted one of our representatives, all the way through the design process into the quotation process, all the way then through the manufacturing process into the testing till it got to the customer. I, I wasn't necessarily responsible, obviously, for you know testing the pump. We had a testing department. But I knew that if something, if I made a mistake in my quotation, if I didn't properly address the requirements of that project, when it got to that stage, it was going to come back, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. And, so, and so I spent six or seven years dealing with these very complex projects. Mm where if I made a mistake, it did come back to me and it could be months down the road that it came right. back to me. Sure. And so I think through that process, I just developed the habit of 
not putting on blinders to these problems that were going to grow into large problems further down the road. Mm-hmm. And, and as I think back before in my career, you know, I, there were some things I did before in my career. I don't see that trait exhibited there. Uh, I right. managed a little sporting goods store, and I, I spent some time in construction as a project manager. I, I don't remember having that trait. And as I think back, I can think back to mistakes I made hmm. that indicate that trait wasn't present. But I think that six or seven year period where I knew if I don't do my job right today, two or three years down the road, I'm really going to hear it for this hey, mistake I made. For sure. That that helped me develop that ability to or that that tendency mm. to not accept, I see this problem, I'm going to ignore it. No, let's let's go ahead and sweep it out and deal with it because if we don't, it's going to come back and, and get us down the road. It'll get you, yeah. It's, it's Especially, I, I imagine for that sort of industry, yeah, if you're designing um, equipment that yeah. is like all custom built and fabricated and takes, you know, like you said, seven, many years, you know, yeah. to, over the course of many years, if you don't get something quite right, or, you know, if there's a smudge on the, on the blueprint or something like right. that, and they, they manufacture it incorrectly, you know, once you go to install it, like, if that doesn't fit, that's a right. big, exactly. it's a big problem. Exactly. Or yeah. the bigger problems are where you get to the test pit, right? So you get to the test part and you realize that, you know, there was some aspect, you know, for example, some of our customers wanted to witness the test. And if you didn't build that in, well, that takes a test that should cost $2,000 and turns it into a $20,000 right. pro- part of the process. Because now you're right. flying people in, the test takes longer, you're paying for hotels, all this right. stuff. All the logistics around it. It's and, not just fitting it in the schedule exactly when you have the free right. time. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And so when, you know, mm-hmm. when those sorts of things came back, they really bit you. And, and we see the same types of things, you know, that happen in our business today. So, you know, a big part of my job today is to try and say... Is there something coming down the road that we know is going to derail us? And, and I'll just use an example. I'll be honest. I'll use an example of a time when I know we didn't do this. Uh, there was a specific technology that we used for a while. Uh, the details aren't real, aren't real important, but it was a... It was an option for running your WordPress site called HHVM. If any of our listeners are WordPress users or technical, they may know what I'm talking about. And it was an alternative to PHP. And we knew that Facebook, who develops HHVM, was making some changes that were going to cause breaking changes down the road. Mm -hmm. And we had automatic updates turned on for HHVM. So when an update rolled out, it automatically hit HHVM. And we missed the timing of when that breaking change rolled out. And it rolled out and it started rolling out across our platform. And most of our customers were not using it, but we did have some. And for those, it caused major, major headaches. And that's an example of something that two years before we became aware that there would be eventually a change coming. Mm-hmm. But we all kind of said, it's it's down the road, it's down the road, it's down the road. It's, it's not years. urgent, right? It'll it's not never, urgent. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it hit on like a Thursday. And right, mm-hmm. it was, you know, all right. alarms. It's trying the future to, until it's today. Exactly. Kind of, you know, yeah. Exactly. And so you, you, you go through a couple of those. And I, I think a part of why... I take ownership for those things today is that I do see myself at Kinsta a long time from now. And that Mm -hmm. was true from day one. I saw myself in that position for a long time. And it's a lot easier to ignore that type of a thing. If you think this is a short term stopover, I'm going to be here for a year or two. It won't be my problem. On the other hand, if you're looking at that, you know, that endeavor, in my case, Mm -hmm. Kinsta saying, I plan to be here five or 10 years from now, anything that I can think of will be my problem. Right. So I can't ignore it. I'm, I'd love to get your, maybe if you have any tips or tricks, cause I, mm-hmm. 
I think we do, we try to do a similar thing at bare metrics, but the, from a like operational perspective, the, the challenges that I've run into trying to sort of inculcate ownership into the team is I think a couple of things. One, I think people are just very busy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's probably generally true. I feel like everybody, I'm thinking, you know, we're probably more busy at bare metrics than other companies of our size. I'm sure sure every company of our size thinks the same exact thing. So, um, so it's like in that scenario, it's like, if you see a problem, you know, how, how does the team take the time to, you know, I think sometimes there's like a negative connotation around Mm -hmm. trying to get something checked off the checklist, but at the same time, it's sort of like, well, you know, if you have 45 things on the checklist, eventually you got to start checking some of them off. So I I think that's been sort of one challenge that I found of how do you sort of operate that within the team of, you know, it's um, just as a a non- non-true example so nobody thinks that i'm picking on that but like let's say you know if if there's an engineer and they got have a long list of bugs you know if they spent five months fixing one bug but they fixed it really well it's like well that's probably not the right balance (laughs) right exactly i think that's one challenge that we have and then the other one i think is just it's something that i've seen not necessarily at bare metrics but in other teams of i i feel like from a leadership perspective and from a messaging perspective the the kind of like that messaging around like, hey, we'll try to try to show up with a solution. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that can be limiting as well, because sometimes it might not be what you mean. But sometimes what people hear is like, well, if you don't know how to fix it, I don't right. really hear about it. Yeah. And then you have yeah. this situation where people are not are seeing issues, they're frontline, or they're dealing directly with customers or yeah. whatever, whatever part of the business is, is breaking. Um, and either again, going back to the first thing, they don't have the time to come up with a solution, or maybe they yeah. don't have the expertise mm-hmm. or whatever the case is. So I'm curious, I know those are two kind of deferring issues, but I've kind of tried to, that's something I've thought about a lot is how do we kind of spread that ownership mentality? And those are two issues that I've run into. So yeah. I don't know if you have any tips or tricks that you found yeah. to address those or maybe other things that I'm not I'm not thinking about yet. Right. So uh, there's a lot there. Uh, so I would say one of the things we do is that we, we try to hire for an ownership mentality. And, mm. and that is not always super easy to identify. But we, you know, through the interview process, we're looking for people who take initiative, who are excited about coming to work at a company where they're going to get to define some of the processes, some of the workflows. So, you know, we ask them things like at your current workplace, you know, we're not asking you to badmouth where you work now, but if you could change something about, you know, this workflow that you've told me about that's less than ideal, how would you do it? Right. right. And so we're looking for folks who can give a thoughtful answer to that, who who stop at that mm-hmm. point and go, you know, I've thought about it. Here's what I would change. Here's here's what I see as the issue. Here's what I think we should change. So that's one of the things we do is we do try to hire for that mentality yeah. from the start. Another thing we do is we once we hire folks who have that ownership mentality, we try to provide as much autonomy as we can. And so there's certainly an element where there's, you know, there is management or leadership happening where we have folks, you know, in development or engineering, they're being assigned specific tickets and issues and those sorts of things. But we, particularly as a fully distributed company, we very much do not micromanage. Mm. And we give folks a lot of flexibility, again, where possible flexibility with their scheduling, uh, flexibility with how they approach their work. And, and we try to 
Again, we just continually are trying to select for that sort of autonomous, independent thinker who is going to take an ownership for those types of tasks. Um, oh, there was another element that I wanted to, uh, to touch on. And I've lost it. <laughs> uh, but you, you had mentioned... Um, oh, goodness. You had mentioned... Two things were, one, um, uh, getting people to... Uh, being both busy yes, and, and having that. time yeah. to fix it, but okay. also the like, yeah. I some and the messaging component of yeah. sometimes when you say, "Hey, right, you right. bring me a solution with the problem." Yep, you kind of say, "Yep, don't tell me about the problem unless you have the solution." Yeah. So the busy, but still, you know, fixing, working through those to do items. I, we found this to the answer to vary based on the size of of where we're at. Right early mm-hmm. on, you know, when we had there was a long time at Kinsta, we had one developer working on our control panel, right? right? Trying to build new features was almost impossible. We yep. were constantly just fixing bugs, fixing, you know, a problem mm-hmm. that popped up. We did we have finally reached a point where we have a large enough development and engineering team that we do have folks who are dedicated firefighters as I would describe them and then dedicated mm-hmm. builders. So we have both on engineering and in development folks who focus on bug fixes, you know, this is going wrong today. How do we fix it? And then we have folks who are focused on building those longer term solutions. And that that helps us attack both ends of the never ending to-do list, so to speak. The folks who are building forward-looking things are able to be much more selective. The folks who are putting out the fires focus on the biggest fire that's happening today. And we're doing that both in engineering and in development. Uh, And we actually do that on our customer teams as well. So we have Mm. folks on our customer teams who are very focused on, you know, these are the inquiries coming in today. Those would be our, you know, our frontline support uh, folks, our billing folks. But then we have other folks who are trying to be more forward-looking. So these Mm. would be folks like our uh, account managers uh, and our client success folks who are having an ongoing conversation about clients looking forward rather than dealing with the problem we're having today. So mm-hmm. th- that's that's been a really nice development out of getting larger is that we do find ourselves able to attack both ends of the spectrum. That was really, really hard early on uh, mm-hmm. when we were a smaller company where you know you have somebody trying to put out a fire and then turn around and do development work. And that, that is really, really difficult. And I, I don't have a magic, uh, solution for that other than folks have to work, folks have to work really hard. Uh, that's just a really challenging, really challenging place to be in. But then as far as the piece of like, you know, don't bring me a problem without a solution, I I should back off of that just a hair. That, that is something that we really value is if you have a solution, Please bring right. it forward. But we mm-hmm. certainly don't ever, you know, castigate or, or fuss at anybody because they brought a problem without a solution. Right. Like, you know, if you see something going wrong, absolutely speak up. And that is actually also sort of built into the ethos of how we approach our work uh, on our support team, for example. A support engineer is not required to solve every ticket that comes their way. They are required to make sure the ticket gets solved. Right, right. So, 
in the same way, you know, if you're a developer, you're not required to know how to solve every problem. You are required to make sure that problem doesn't get swept under the rug mm-hmm. and ignored. And so that's that's the mentality we've tried to put forward across the board is you're not responsible for fixing every problem. Now, of course, if you see a problem and you have a proposed solution, that's awesome. That saves us all time. But your responsibility is to make sure the problem doesn't get ignored. Yeah. That's really interesting, and that feels like a, a lesson that sort of works at every level of, and I think especially, I think one challenge is people in kind of the founder, uh, operator, you know, whatever, C-level mm-hmm. issue, you, you kind of have to go through that transition of um, almost the same exact thing. You're not responsible for actually fixing the problem, but you're yeah. responsible that the problem gets fixed. So yeah. I think it's like kind of a very uh, executive mindset of, you know, uh, I know a lot of people in our audience are kind of the founder developers. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, at some scale, if you want to, if you want your cost company to go this way, you have to get out of the spot where, you know, if there's a bug, you're not the one that fixes the bug. Yep. Um, it's obviously your responsibility that the bug gets fixed. And, you know, maybe you're still the one talking to the customer. And, you know, as you sort of extricate yourself from being the the solo, the solo founder, um, but yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense too. applying that to that role as well of like um, in a support um, perspective, it's like, well, yeah, it's not your, and I kind of, we do the same thing or even, you know, in, a, in the sales role as well for us, like you don't have to know the answer to everything. Um, you know, you don't, because in some way our, our business is a little bit interesting um, from like a sales perspective, because mm-hmm. we're kind of like, we're not selling numbers like metrics necessarily we're selling the ability for you to like grow your business so Mm -hmm. if you're a salesperson here then it's like well you kind of have to know how to grow businesses Uh, and that's kind of like that's basically Mm -hmm. like the sales training here of like how how can you help people and you know we can fall back on some patterns Uh, but that we kind of get to that a lot where it's like well you don't have to be an expert at growing businesses but Um, you have to make sure that they get the insights that they need. And if a customer comes to us and says, like, hey, we, we think our churn is too high or we want to address this, we want to know who our best customers are, um, you're responsible for getting them to that answer eventually. Now, maybe yeah. you, on the call, you got you have nothing for them, but you need to ask kind of all the extra questions to make sure you really understand the situation really well. Um, and then you can come and talk to me and I can give you my feedback or someone else on the team or whatever the case is. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I guess I never thought of those two kind of principles in the same way, but it's like, I mean, that ownership has, I guess, yeah. different levels and different manifestations. And like, just making sure that the problem gets solved is a huge aspect of ownership versus like, well, you know, if a support ticket is sitting and it's like, why is this just sitting? And like, well, I didn't know what to do with it. It's yeah. like, well, that's, that's the anti-pattern. That's yeah, like, okay, well, that's how you it can sometimes be hard to tell when people are getting to that maximum level of ownership, but like you can definitely tell when they're not, when they're under the bar of like, okay, well, you know, you're just kind of, kind of sit on it or you just mark it closed. Like, well, I hadn't heard from anybody for, you know, a week. So I just closed it. It's like, Ooh, this is, this is not going to fly. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, that's the situation you get where the customer reaches back out in the month and they're like, Hey, what the hell is going on with this? And, um, you know, then they're, then you're dealing with a bigger issue. Um, yeah. after the fact. So yeah, yeah that makes a, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, but, and yeah. I do think you're right though, that, you know, as a founder or, you know, in my case, not a founder, but somebody who joined early on and, and, you know, there was a day in 2016, 2017, where I spent all day handling support tickets. Right. Mm-hmm. And then as the company grows and 
the complexity of what's happening increases and you're working with more and more people, you do have to keep, you know, stepping further and further back from that day-to-day process. And that's, that's really hard to do, right? Mm. There, there comes a point, you know, again, even if you're not a founder, if you've been promoted up through the ranks from an individual contributor to like a team lead position, then maybe to like a manager and ultimately maybe eventually to an executive Mm. where you really do go from at one level dealing with the ticket to at another level planning the work of departments, right? The Mm. majority of your work at that point is spent thinking about what does our team need to be doing a month from now, three months from now, six months from now? What are the big problems? Where do we want to be six months from now? And then coaching your managers and helping them prioritize and set goals. And that can feel very disconnected from the day-to-day work that's happening. And all of a sudden something will pop up in Slack or whatever you're using as the operating system from your business. And it is very tempting to jump in and be like, you know what, I can do this and I can feel productive and feel like I'm contributing. And the truth is you are hamstringing the future of the business by Hmm. doing that, right? You are taking a very short-term approach by, you know, and there are exceptions to every rule. So there is a time, you know, we have a a person on our legal team, Lauren, she handles all of our DMCAs, NDAs, uh, custom terms of service, all that kind of stuff. It is, it took a while once she was kind of on board and trained for me to stop responding to stuff that came up in Slack related to those issues because I'd been doing them for so long. Right. Right. Uh, But I really need to. And now the only time I should do it is if she's out of the office, right? If she's out of the office, sure. Help out. But when she's there, you really, John, you need to back off and let her, let Lauren deal with it. She'll deal with it. And that'll allow you to think about, you know, what does our legal team look like six months from now? What are the upcoming challenges with, you know, whether it's stuff happening with GDPR, because there's a lot happening there, or, you know, whatever, is there a new product or service coming up? And how is that going to influence our terms of service? Those are the things I need to be thinking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's like, and actually, it's funny how it kind of all ties together into this theme of ownership, because I think one thing, I don't know if it's similar for you, but one thing... I think of in those situations where you're tempted to jump in, it's like, you know how much everybody has on their plate. That's yeah. sort of like the the curse of knowledge that you have sort of being at the top of like, all right, I know, I know basically the landscape of everything that's going on. And it's especially if something comes up a little bit out of left field um, and you're like, you know what, like, you know, should I let this get to the team or should I just do it? Um, but sort of to the point of ownership, you have to be willing to let that team get overwhelmed and mm-hmm. be if, if you are sort of the the pressure valve of, you know, bailing that team out when they get too much stuff to do, then they don't develop that capability themselves to either raise their hands or figure out what that solution or maybe, you know, you get down to the point where it's like maybe they need to hire like maybe yeah. we need to hire somebody else. And the reason why we're we're not thinking about that now is because we have executives that will just kind of jump in and do stuff. You'll have, you know, the, one of the leaders of the company spend their, spend their Friday, uh, redrafting a legal doc or something like that. You know, it's just like, um, and it's like, okay, well that probably wasn't necessarily the best use of our time. So, well, and and by making that mistake, what you've done is you've just like accepted that your company's that, that department or team is going to be 
under duress until until you're able to hire and and get that right. next person up to speed right like that's yeah. that's another one of the challenges of being in that sort of leadership position is identifying mm-hmm. as as the workload grows when do you hire and you you really don't want to hire too late because when you hire too late man you just go through and and I unfortunately speak from experience here where like mm-hmm. there have been times where we expanded our talent acquisition team just way too slow and and all of a sudden there was tremendous demand within the company for hiring and we had one person working full-time in talent acquisition it's like how is this one person going to fill these 20 open requisitions right it's just right. not physically possible and it gets it gets expensive because then you're working with recruiters and it's like you know this is this is not a failure of talent acquisition this is a failure of management right, <laughs> right? a failure right. of management to identify this bottleneck uh-huh. six months ago and go ahead and get two more recruiters on staff so that when this this load came through we would be able to handle it yeah, it feels like a double whammy when it's on the recruiting side because yeah. then it's like then you need to recruit the recruiters, yep. um, and then you know you have all these like downstream effects. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I think I've I've fallen into that mistake as well, and I think that I think one potential mistake that I've made there is around. Maybe maybe this is not strictly true. I'm, I'm actually thinking it through as I'm talking, yeah. which is a kind of a first for me. Um, but, um, kind of having that feeling like we have we understand what the job role is going to be. I guess maybe as an antidote to hiring too soon, or sometimes I feel like you can hire, you can assume that hiring somebody is going to fix a problem. Yep. Um, so it feels like there is that window to fall in of like, well, we need to be able to address this issue internally whatever it is like we just did an acquisition uh, a couple i guess it's actually been forever now it's been like uh, six months or something like that um but it feels like it was just yesterday and it also feels like it was five years ago right um and my thing is like well the internal team even though it's outside of our skill set we need to understand the product we need to be able to serve the existing customers we need to be able to bring new customers and we basically need to manage the full life cycle as we're integrating that product into our product and Mm -hmm. doing kind of that sort of thing um so I, I think that we're at the spot now, you know, it's like extremely painful too. And yeah. again, it goes to everything we were saying before. It's like, well, the amount of work that everybody had to do before didn't go away. We've just sure. sort of added on. But my thought process was like, well, it's going to be really difficult for us to hire somebody and they're going to be fresh. They're going to know less than what we know. Uh, and we, you know, we don't know much, much at all. Right. Um, so we need to, we need to be able to know how to do the job. Then we can hire somebody and we mm. can train them and then they can be focused on it. But it feels like yeah. that is also a recipe that sort of puts you in the spot of like, gets you kind of dangerously close or over the point yep. of hiring too late. Yep. Um, because it is, you know, that might be a fallacy in itself of like, well, we need to know how to do it first. It's like, well, maybe, or to your point, when you go to the, the, hiring process you just make it explicit you need to hire for that ownership mentality and say like hey we want to make it clear how little we have figured out yep and um you're gonna have to you know we'd have to screen for experience like that of being able to figure out what these processes are put these processes in place and and have them hit the ground running basically yeah yeah so we've we've done that i've done that a few times at kinsta where there was something that i was responsible for along with other things. And I realized we had reached a point where we needed to specialize. So the first time 
specifically I can remember doing this was I actually accidentally inherited finance when I became chief operating officer. I didn't realize that was coming along with the job, but it did. (laughs) And, uh, and so, you know, I inherited, uh, you know, basically making sure the bills got paid and the light stayed on when Mm -hmm. I became chief operating officer. And our company went through a period of evolution and we reached a point where, uh, well, in, in retrospect, I realized that Mark, our CEO, was nudging me in this direction for a couple of months before I got there. I felt like I got there, but in, in retrospect, I can see he had been nudging me a bit. But I, I reached a point where I told Mark, I was like, I can do one of two things. I can be the chief, chief operating officer of this company, or I can figure out how to be a CFO. And I, mm-hmm. and I can go that route. I can't keep doing both. Right. I, f- I feel like I can do the chief operating officer thing today. The CFO mm-hmm. thing, I think it's going to take me two years to really figure out what I'm doing. And in the meantime, we're playing with way too much money for me to right. be figuring it out on the job, so to speak. Right? If we were yep. moving a million dollars a year, okay, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. But we were moving like a 10x multiple of that. Mm-hmm. And that's just too much money in an international context where we've got customers all over the world. That's too right. much money for me to learn on the job. So we right. need to go find somebody who can do this. And so we did. We went out and actually we hired the guy who was our U.S. tax attorney. <laughs> so mm. we already had a relationship. He was somebody I trusted. And I went out and brought that in. I was like, look, you know how little we know because you've right. already been working with us. You know yep. what we're doing. You know what we're not doing. You know, you you already know the finances of the company. I need you to come in and help us build out processes and, you know, mm. focus on tax compliance and that sort of thing. And so that was the first time I did that. And then I actually just did that again in the last month where uh, IT has been a shared responsibility between myself. We have an operations administrator, Lauren, she's been helping. Our CTO, Daniel, has been helping. We've got somebody in security, James, who's been helping. Just sort of all of us kind of Mm -hmm. doing our best effort at managing IT. And the company has, has reached a point where, I don't know, six, 12 months ago, I started talking to the CTO saying, I really think it's time we have somebody focus on this piece because IT security is such a, it's one of those things that you don't want to be a problem. So you've got to be right. proactive about it. And, right. and it hadn't been a problem, hasn't been a problem for us, but I, I knew we needed to be proactive about it to level up our approach to IT security. Mm-hmm. And, and so we kind of talked internally. Who do we have internally that has this knowledge? Nobody internally really had been focused on IT security in a distributed environment before. So we were very explicit when we went out for that position. We want three years experience, somebody who has managed IT in a SaaS, for a SaaS company that is distributed. And that's right. who we went out and hired. And, and it was it was tricky to find. It took us, I don't know, three or four months to find mm. applicants who fit that profile for us. Uh, but, you know, a month ago, we onboarded Eric. And from day one, Eric was confirmed to us that he knew more about IT security for distributed technology companies than anybody else in the company. Right. Uh, from day one, he confirmed it for us. So, uh, you know, that's, that is one of those things, I think, where when you are, you know, sort of building out that new function and you're going, we need to know how to do this so we can bring, so we can bring somebody in and tell them how to do it. Another option is to go hire somebody who knows how to do it and ask them how to do it. And, and I, yeah. it take, the company has to be in a different place, right? Like er, early on at Kinsta, that was really hard because the folks who have done it and know how to do it don't come cheap. Right. And so now that we're established, sometimes we can make some of those strategic key hires, but that was really hard to do four or five years ago. 
and uh, and that you know it wasn't always an option at that point. At this point, we are thankfully able to to prioritize some of those key hires and say, look, this is an area where we acknowledge we don't know enough, so we're going to bring somebody in who does, and then we're going to set them loose and over the course of six months, let them reshuffle things and tell us how we need to be doing this. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I think there's a big difference between knowing exactly how to do the job and understanding like what the perimeter of the job is like, you know, and sort of even, even in that case, like you said, even the, the, the mentality of like, all right, we have like four or five people spread out across the company that are responsible for all these sort of things and Mm -hmm. we want to centralize it. But I think it's also a good reminder, like you said, especially the more specific you are in hiring for the role and the more specific the job actually is, the longer it might take you to find them. So if you, you know, if you wait until kind of like the last minute to start hiring for it, it's like, well, you know, there might be like four more months of minutes after that. So you're really going to stretch yourself to the limit. So it's kind of like, there's probably some guidance in there around like, as soon as you kind of know the shape of the role, Mm -hmm. like as soon as you can start to sketch it out and Maybe even as you start to like in your, I think that example you gave is a great one. As soon as you can start to sketch out like, well, who would be good at this? Like what type of person are we hiring for? Yeah. Um, then that's probably the time to like start looking. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it might be a couple of months until um, or you might start talking to people and realizing that you're wrong about something. Yep. You're talking to people like, Absolutely. oh, this doesn't, doesn't feel quite right. There are the position or the, the expectations or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Something's off. Yeah. Um, so it might be good to start thinking about that earlier on. But you're right; it's it's very stage dependent as well. Yeah. Um, because sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't hire, or sometimes you know it doesn't make sense. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's um, kind of true, especially I, I kind of in my free time talk to some businesses that are outside of tech and you know working at a much smaller scale, and it's just like you know, the monthly monthly you know profits are like in the like dozens of dollars. So yeah, it's like, sure. you know, any problem that you're having, it's just not practice. The, the opportunities are not sized appropriately that mm-hmm. you're going to be able to scale the team out to get there. Yeah. Um, so you have to kind of find where you are on that continuum as yeah. well. Like I'm sure if Google has an available role, they don't mind hiring for it. And they have the entire departments around making sure that that's successful. And you have people that are whatever selling, yeah. selling jewelry on Etsy where, you know, hiring additional people doesn't make sense financially. So you kind of have to figure out where you are in in between right. and, and understand, you know, uh, how much are we asking the existing team to stretch? And then when is it time to start filling roles? Or when is it, like, sounds like what your team did is like, okay, well, instead of, you know, instead of bringing somebody in initially, can we share this responsibility across multiple people? How can we make it so that yeah. it's at least not on one person's shoulders? And then once you get to that point, it sort of makes sense to, all right. Okay. Cool. Let's bring somebody in um, and do a better do a better job, more efficiently than what everybody yeah. else is able to do. Yeah. I mean, in the case of IT, it was just one of those classic like we're a startup, and you know, IT was just one of those things that um, whoever was able did it. It was one of those somebody was wearing that hat along with several other people. And initially that was sort of Daniel Pataki. He was our CTO and he was the person who came to us and was like, here's what a password manager is. This is like four Mm -hmm. or five years ago, right? Here's what a password manager is. Here's why we need one and implemented that. And here's why we need, uh, you know, multi-factor authentication forced in Google workspace. And so he put some of those initial basic 
pieces in place, but right. then from a practical perspective, people were getting onboarded and you don't need your CTO setting that stuff up, right? That's right. very operational and HR is under my purview. And so it's like that right. made sense for that to come over to me. And then we created a security team and hey, security, what does that mean? It means everything technology. And so for a little while there, we we had them and they still do feed in a little bit to policies and whatnot, but they're not involved at all in day-to-day stuff. But, but it, it, it was a process, as you describe, of we put the job description or the job listing out there and we did mm-hmm. refine it. And I think that's a part of why it took us three to four months to zero in on the right job description, the right job listing. Initially, we had it uh, advertised with a different title. Ultimately, we hired an IT operations manager. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't remember initially what it was titled as, but we got folks with the wrong experience initially. We were getting folks who were much more engineer oriented, who were like right. system administrators mm-hmm. and who were much, yeah. much more on that engineering technical side of things. Whereas we would needed somebody who was much more operationally and policy focused was really what we were looking for. And so we right. did have to go through a couple of rounds of phone screens, identifying, you know, the profiles that are close, what is it that's attracting them to the role? How do we zero the role in? And it did take us a little while. And then it it was funny. We have an internal policy that we have to have at least three people go through the interview phase before we can make an offer. And Mm -hmm. and we're trying to protect against people getting so excited about the first candidate that they, you know, because that that can happen. You can kind of fall in love with the first candidate that, that comes through that interview process. For sure. And uh, the guy we hired, Eric, was the first candidate. And I mm-hmm. interviewed Eric, and I was just like, "This is this is this is the guy, right? Like mm-hmm. this is the guy." But I I didn't have my three interviews, and I didn't have any other interviews lined up. And I'm the, mm-hmm. I'm the head of HR basically, right? And so I can't I can't break my own policy, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. and so I'm like after after uh, a recruiting, I'm like we got to get some more candidates through this process, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because and and we did, you know, we went through the interview process with two more folks completely fair to them, uh, treated them in a completely unbiased fashion. And they confirmed mm-hmm. that Eric was the right person. And, yeah. and so, and during that entire time, I was in the ear of talent acquisition, please keep Eric warm. Please let him know he's not out of the running. Please be mm-hmm. in conversation with him. I don't want this guy to disappear on us. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's another kind of fun, tricky thing. And one thing I remember from our, the last time we were, we were chatting, mm-hmm. um, which I think was just a few weeks ago, but it feels like feels like months ago. Yeah, um, it's just kind of the ability that it feels like you and your team have a real knack on like kind of the process side, and it feels like and kind of everything that you've said so far also confirms that around like you know, just thinking about like the the ownership piece and kind of like how do you prevent these issues from happening in the future. So yeah, but it, it is always funny those scenarios of like you have this you have this rule in place and. Um, you know, sometimes you just want to break it, you know, and yeah. it's just like, yeah. and, and I think it takes real discipline to, to stick to it. And, um, probably almost always the right thing. If you put a process in place, even just like to your point, just from like the, like the, the messaging component, the, yeah. the, the visibility on that. It's like, okay, well, you know, you don't want it to be a thing of like, well, you know, John's policies are John's policies until John until has to deal with them. against John. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I remember in our last conversation that we were, we were sort of talking about also in that hiring process and I, I forget how exactly we got there, but mm-hmm. you sort of mentioned that, um, 
you know, that when people were getting hired, like they sort of had the option of whether or not they wanted to appear um, on the website. website? That that to me was like, (laughs) I'm going to say like uh, mind blowing to (laughs) totally like uh, make myself look like, you know, um, totally unsophisticated. But I always feel like there are certain you know, there's certain things. It's like when you buy like a uh, buy like a uh, a dresser, like you know, like pull the shelves out and mm-hmm. look. Like, did they like finish the undersides? It's like kind of like right. those like fine details are like. I know when we're hiring, again, we are we are on that smaller. We're in that 15, 20 person size, but you know, when we hire somebody. It's like all that we can do to get them into that role and get them going as fast as possible, probably mm-hmm. because we didn't start the hiring process early enough, like we were talking about before. Um, so for me, that was just really interesting. I'd be curious if you if you have anything you can share on that. Sure. Of like, how did you, I think even just making the time, like yeah. making the time to have that thoughtfulness in the hiring process, but maybe just like speaking a little bit to like getting those processes in place and what like that might not be directly applicable to other businesses, but I think the kind of mentality that you went through there is really sure. like instructive for other businesses. Yeah. So I have to kind of rewind to somewhere around, I would say 2018. And at that time mm-hmm. we just had the executive team on the website. We didn't really love that because we've never been the sort of company that I, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything negative here because I think it's okay for companies to be different in this regard, but we've never been the sort that, tried to put our executives on a pedestal in any fashion. Yeah. And so it didn't sit well with us. And we were like, we really would rather have the entire team up here. And it was, it was also a little bit self-serving as a company because we had competitors who were actively competing with us by telling potential customers who were thinking about Kinsta. I mean, look at their website. They're a tiny little team, right? And at that point we were like 60 people or something like that. And Mm -hmm. that's not a huge company, but it's not a tiny company either at that point. Right. So we were like, this is kind of, it was on the website. Yeah, exactly. We had like six people on the website. And so it made Mm -hmm. it look like, you know, there was just six of us here. But when we started thinking about putting folks on the website, we just started thinking about practical things like how do we get people's picture up and and make sure that they have control over that without making it a huge burden on Mm -hmm. the technology team because we don't want the technology team to be involved, the website team having to upload pictures. We also don't want to give every person in the company access to the website to upload their own pictures. So how are we going to do this? And the other thing that came to light is we knew we had at least two members who were a little bit protective about their identity. And and the reason they were is that they were known outside of our company and they were worried about being recognized and having uh, people who knew them from other contexts try to contact them within Kinsta. So just Hmm. for example, we had one person on our support team who had built a couple of really popular WordPress plugins and he was worried if my... WordPress plugin users who use Kinsta, because there were many of them, realize it's me, they will try to get support specifically for this plugin through the Kinsta support system. And so he was Mm -hmm. like, I really don't want my name, my picture out there. Mm -hmm. And he used a different name in the support chat system and and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Not really a desire to deceive anyone, just really trying to avoid that distraction. And so we were cognizant of two different folks who had that sort of a concern about being publicly displayed mm-hmm. as being part of Kinsta. And so we were kind of thinking about all those different issues. And somebody on the website team was like, well, why don't we just grab folks Slack 
pictures. And that way folks can update them anytime they want to. They just change their Slack picture. It changes the picture on the website. And then why don't we just put a field in Slack that says, do you want to be on the website? Yes or no, right? And then what is your official job title? And so that was it. And so that's what our website uses to put folks on the website is it looks at our Slack account, grabs pictures from Slack. So if folks want to change their picture, they just change their Slack picture. That's highly visible to the entire company. So it protects a little bit against somebody doing something on the website that you might not be crazy about because it's also right. going to be visible immediately in Slack to the entire company. Mm -hmm. It gives them an easy way to say yes or no as to whether or not they want to appear on the website. And then we just have a field there for their official job title. So for us, it was about how do we enable this option that we know some of our existing team members want. And these are folks who didn't agree. You know, if we had said during the interview sign-up process, everybody's picture goes on the website, I think it would have been totally valid for us at that point to be like, where's your picture? We're going to put it on the website, right? right. But we didn't. These were folks who were mm -hmm. already with us. Their picture had never been on the website. And it felt like a bit of a, I don't know, just a, a, a tiny little uh, bait and switch where now that mm -hmm. we have them on the team, now we're going to ask them if we can or now we're going to put their picture on the website when we know they don't want to do that. Right. And so how do we enable that while also enabling people to update their pictures if they stay with us for a while while not creating a burden? And the thing is that it would have been a deal breaker for us if we had not been able to find a way to do that in a way that was easily scalable. This takes virtually right. no effort. As a part of mm. onboarding, it's five minutes. Uh, during the onboarding process, we have a lessonly course that walks folks through how to do it. It's it's a complete non-issue at this point. Mm -hmm. If we hadn't been able to get to that point, we, we wouldn't have done it. We would have taken a big group photo every year or two and tossed it up on the website and been done with it. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I, I really I really like that that kind of walkthrough for couple of reasons and i think like the paramount thing is just the, the thoughtfulness of walking through that and um yeah again it's like um i i think the thing that that sort of strikes me is that i i imagine that was not the only thing that was going on at oh, yeah. the business during that point you know, so it's not like you know it's not like everybody's got their full brain power focused towards this but you found a way to you know um you found a system that was like super scalable and yeah. something that wasn't going to take a bunch of ongoing you know maintenance right um and you found something that was allowed people to have kind of their well, lots of agency, like you talked about before. Yeah. First off, like which picture, if they wanted to update their picture, uh, and uh, obviously if they want to be on the site or not. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, for me, that's kind of a, a part of the process of like, you know, when you're running through onboarding, I think everybody acknowledges how important onboarding is, but yeah. especially at the smaller end, or at least for us, I can say, I think this is true for a lot of businesses. You're just trying to, you're trying to get that person in and get them up and running as yeah. quickly as possible. So I think it's cool. And actually, you know, it's also sort of the, the remote component of, you know, operating a remote teams. Like you said, if you were in an office, you know, it's not, not necessarily completely easier, but you know, you have the thing, you got the the one brick wall or the right. one logo and you yeah. kind of um, whatever schedule someone to come in, take a photo and, you know, you kind of, you, you can kind of manage more of the process, mm -hmm. not necessarily that it would fix the issue for the people who don't want to be on the site, but um, you can, it's a little bit easier to operate around, but yeah. being completely remote, that does obviously add a little bit more 
Um, you can't, you know, yeah. not everybody's going to be on the same background. Yeah, I mean, it's just not I, gonna happen. I, I would say that this was very much a non-trivial choice for us, right? Like, I, mm. I know that you've mentioned, you know, everybody had other stuff going on. And that's true. But we actually placed a really high priority on getting this part of our website right. This is on our About Us page. Mm. And it was, it remains really important to us to take pride in who we are as a company. And so this was very Mm. much a non-trivial choice. There there were a variety of of different um, ways that it mattered. You know, there was the sales element that I already touched on where we wanted to be able to to deflect those uh, attacks from competitors who were saying, hey, it's a tiny little team. We wanted to be able to show, no, it's actually a pretty good sized team at this point. Mm -hmm. But we... We want Kinsta to be a place that people are excited about working at and and um, care about. Uh, I, I, I try to avoid using the word family speaking about business mm-hmm. because I don't think yeah. it's the right description. But I do want people mm-hmm. to be proud about working for Kinsta. Right. And and this was a this was a part of that, right? This was a part of, of us saying we value Every person who contributes to Kinsta, we want to put you on our website if you want to be there. We want to give you control over how you're displayed there so you get to pick your picture. Uh, You get to pick whether or not you're even on there. So, you know, on the one hand, yeah, everybody had lots else going on. On the other hand, we felt this was really important, both from a sales perspective, but also just from a company identity perspective, you know. Uh, Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to find those, um, or maybe it's not hard to find. Maybe it's it's difficult for me uh, finding those areas. Like you said, it's it's so easy to kind of jump from kind of one issue to the next, or mm-hmm. you know, one problem to the next problem. And even as, or at least one thing I've observed, and again, it might be stage dependent for us, but it can just be difficult to kind of find those opportunities to you know celebrate a win. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like almost like everything that you do, even if you ship like a gigantic new feature or something that feels very finite, like this is a win. You always have that thing of like, okay, well, we're going to need to monitor for bugs. We're going to need to get the customers on whatever. Like there's, you're always sort of in that state of constant. You're constantly, the next thing is always coming. And and so I, I, strikes me i was actually having a conversation with somebody the other day it was almost literally about the same thing of like well you know it's like when do you celebrate um and i think the conclusion we came to from that conversation is you got to just kind of like whenever you can (laughs) you you know like yeah exactly like don't don't wait until you're done to celebrate Mm -hmm. um because you know i mean when when are you done and when's the you know it's so easy to get pulled into the next thing so i kind of really like it from that perspective too it's almost like you're saying like well let's let's take a moment to let's take a moment to celebrate here. Let's yeah. take a moment to be thankful for the team and show the team off. And yeah. like you said, I'm sure it helps that you kind of um, can, you know, justify it that you're empowering the sales team too, but it's almost like, well, let's not, you know, you could have, like you said, there were faster ways to check that, like even literally yeah. on the about us page saying we have over XX right. employees and linking to your LinkedIn or whatever. Like mm-hmm. there were, there were expedient ways, ways to go about doing that. Yeah. Um, but you said, no, let's, you know, this team is awesome. Yeah. And maybe it was almost that, that was, that was the step into it for you. Be like, oh, well, you know, this is an opportunity. So I, I really, I really like that as well of like, you know, 
I think you do have to be you have to be on the lookout for those opportunities to yeah. to celebrate with the team. Yeah, absolutely. We have two ways that we try to do that. And I, and I think you're absolutely right that celebrating has to be something that you do on an ongoing basis because, you know, you, you ship that new feature, right? And and development is super excited and support is just shaking in their boots, right? So, right. so yep. it, 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 there really isn't a point at which everybody can just sort of stop and go, hey, we're done with this. Let's move on. So we try to do it on an ongoing basis in two ways. And it, it, it happens in Slack for us. Uh, we have two different channels. We have one, which is hashtag Kinsta is good. And in that channel, folks who are on our customer teams will often post feedback from our customers. They have a great customer experience. They say something nice. Hey, you know, I love Kinsta support, whatever. They'll post that. And then also our social media team. If they find somebody who says something nice on social media, they'll populate that into that hashtag Kinsta is good channel. So mm-hmm. every day, I don't know, three to five posts pop up in there, either coming from our customer teams or from our social media teams of folks who have given Kinsta a nice review. Uh, that's another place they come from. Uh, our uh, client success team will grab key new reviews coming off Trustpilot or G2 or whatever and pop them in there. So that's sort of that external validation mm-hmm. coming in. The other thing we have is we have a channel called hashtag thanks uh, within Slack. And that's one where we just encourage folks to thank each other. And some of it's really small, right? Like it's like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, so-and-so explained this to me and I just appreciate them taking the time out of their day to explain this to me, right? And then some of it is celebrating those bigger wins. Like, you know, thanks to this team, which was led by this developer that spent six months developing this feature and we just pushed it live and we appreciate everybody's help so much. And, and that channel similarly gets two, three, four posts a day of folks across the company thanking each other. Mm. And I I think the reason that both of those have been successful, one, everybody in the company's added to them. Those are some of the default Slack channels set up in our Slack settings. Everybody gets added. Two, those have been a really high priority for Mark, our CEO. He has Mm -hmm. for years on an ongoing basis posted in both of those himself and pushed members of management to do the same, right? right? So on a regular basis, he'll be encouraging us, hey, don't forget about that thanks channel. I know it's easy to forget about it. So, you know, don't forget periodically to pop something in there because if you do stop and think about it, at almost any time you can think of something that somebody has done for you in the last couple of days that you could publicly thank them for. And right. so uh, those are, I think, why those channels have done well, but that is how we internally try to continually celebrate wins across the team yeah yeah that's really great we i think we have a a similar issue and the kind of angle that i've taken is to try to remind people to also share share wins yeah so i think it's really easy to kind of work on problems and i i'm very thankful that everybody's super collaborative and when there's a problem that comes up Mm -hmm. we all want to jump on it we want to work on it together if sales is trying to work through something they might need help from the success team or they might need engineering help or they might need to work with marketing or whatever the case and you know vice versa obviously everybody's very interconnected um and so i think the the other edge of that sword is that well now all of our conversation is consumed with all the issues that everybody yeah. needs to work on so i've been trying to say a little bit more and i need to do a much better job of it but like hey well let's let's share the win as well mm. like when something goes well uh, i think we're, we do an okay job of that especially you know i think that the the bonus in that scenario the upside to that scenario is you have lots of people with their eyes on it so mm-hmm. that when it turns you know it's actually um I think one challenge is 
people maybe feel like they're bragging about something. Mm -hmm. So sure. if sales reach out to success and success helps them and then sales goes and then whatever, two weeks later, sales closes the deal, success is there to be like, hey, awesome job. Yeah. Like I know how hard that was. So I think that's like a really cool setup. Um, but that's a discrete thing we need to go through. Yeah. Um, and we also have a similar thing. We use this tool called Bonusly, um, which you can give points out. Mm -hmm. And um, it's actually funny because I got yelled at the other day because I've never like redeemed. Like I think you can like redeem them for like gift cards. Yeah. You can donate them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, to me, the value is kind of like we have that Slack channel. Yeah. And you can give somebody like that's where you can give the shout out and you can put a couple of points towards it so that it's like whatever. It has some sort of yeah. meaning to it. Um, but it's it's actually kind of cool because I think it also kind of creates this um, the points expire every month. Mm -hmm. And so if nothing else, you sort of have this loss aversion of like, oh, I have I think we have 300 points or mm -hmm. whatever the number is. Like I, I, I might be getting a notification from them in a week or so like, hey, the end of the month is coming. You still have X you know points yeah. left over. And that kind of almost forces me of like, OK, cool. Like, well let me look back at the month and let me make sure that I've given people this. It would have nice. been much better yeah. for me to have done it in the moment. Right. Um, but it's like, it's kind of like a fail safe of like, Hey, at least I, you know, at least I got there eventually. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that feels like a good process there, or at least a good forcing function yeah. to go through. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, different people are naturally better at this sort of celebration of winning or of wins than other folks mm -hmm. are. Uh, again, uh, Mark, our CEO, really good at it. I'm not mm -hmm. as good at it. So I, I've yeah. set a reminder for myself in Slack. I think it's like every Thursday at 2 p.m. or something, it pops up and says, post something and thanks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not because yep. I'm not grateful or appreciative. It's just because it doesn't, yep. it's not something naturally that, that happens for me. And so I've, right. I've tried to set that reminder. I really like the bonusly idea here as well, because that mm -hmm. seems like similar, right? Like you've got this allocation and you're getting this reminder periodically, hey, you know, you need to, you need to share these points that are sitting here. Uh, yeah. I, I'm actually really excited because we just created our first culture position within HR and mm. they're going to be focused exactly on things like that, on things yeah. like, well, and, and a whole lot of other stuff. They're going to be, you know, coordinating in-person meetups and a whole bunch of other things. But one of the things they're going to be working on is trying to drive that sort of culture of collaboration and of positivity between team members. So, you know, things mm -hmm. like bonus leaders, one called, I think, Hey Taco, that's really popular. So I, I'm sure that we'll be using more of that sort of stuff in the future to try and have those automatic reminders for folks to participate in that sort of like team building process. Yeah. It's kind of funny to, to think of it and phrase it this way, but it's kind of like you, you are to some extent forcing people to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's, makes it seem like people don't want to do it but yeah. it's it's more like how can you make it the the, the default to mm -hmm. give a shout out give thanks um and you'll notice that people will do it i'm sure there are people especially on a team of your size there's probably at least a few people who like actively don't like doing it for for sure. whatever yeah. reason you know which is which is fine um or maybe it's not fine but <laughs> you, you'll be the judge of that um but i think you know for the most part it's just yeah some people think about that are wired a little bit more that way mm -hmm. um and some people aren't but i agree with you that your tactic I think is great. My tactic takes a little bit longer, but yeah. you know, we kind of get there. It's like, if you actually kind of force someone to sit down and say like, Hey, we'll take a minute. It's not kind of like, you know, like whatever, like mindfulness meditation or whatever. Like if you're really feeling like stressed out and very hectic, like sitting down and doing nothing seems like the most like 
unimaginable thing possible, right. but it gives you the chance to reset. So, if, you know, as you're jumping from task to task and you have your list, you have five things on your to-do list that are critical to get done this week. And, oh, look, it's Thursday. And, you know, the last thing you're probably it's on your mind is being having some gratitude and being thankful for mm-hmm. something that your team did. So kind of forcing yourself to take that pause and take a moment, whatever. It doesn't usually doesn't take long. I'm, I don't know. You can share. It feels like it takes me fewer than five minutes yeah. to spend all of my points across the team of all the great things that they've that they've done yeah um and you know shout out to them for doing so many great things over the course of the month making that easy um yeah no, yeah i, I think I, I forcing think, people is like the trick right right yeah no i think you're right like when you actually stop and sit down and do it it just takes a couple of minutes it's not a super time consuming uh thing and i would say like we don't track anybody's participation in this stuff like we don't track mm-hmm. anybody's participation in that thanks for kinsta's good channel so i'm sure there are folks who don't participate at all and um it, you know is that fine you know i i, I don't know <laughs> mm-hmm. i do i do know a lot of that is just it's just not natural for them like it's just not uh something that they are naturally drawn to doing yeah. um you know, I, I do think it's a good thing to get in the habit of doing, even if it's not something that you naturally do. So, you know, if if I were having that conversation with somebody and they were like, I've never posted in the thanks channel, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't come down on them. Right. Because if I I think if I didn't if I didn't stop and do it intentionally, I, right. I would have posted some in the thanks channel, but not a ton. Uh, simply, right. it's just not something that that occurs to me. Uh, so I, you know, setting that reminder for myself, I would encourage them to do the same, you know, just find a way, set a reminder for yourself. Doesn't even have to be every week, once a month. Um, but to participate in that process of acknowledging the help that others provide. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, you, you, you want to build the, if they don't already have it, you want to build that understanding of like why that is a good thing and like the usefulness and then understanding that. It's like with any habit, like a, you're kind of asking someone to form a habit, which is what's really difficult to do. Absolutely. So kind of have to inform them that it doesn't need to be frequent and, you know, it could be trivial, um, you know, like it could be whatever, like, hey, thanks this person for telling a really funny joke in Slack or whatever, right. you know, you yeah. bright, brighten my day or thanks this person for, you know, covering for me or whatever, like whatever the case is. Yeah, um, it can absolutely. be totally trivial um but they kind of have to want to do it and it's almost like it feels like there's that activation cost of like well just try it because i think a lot of it too i i kind of um engage a lot uh in a lot of like people talking about like psychology and things like that um and i know a lot of that is like sort of the people if you don't have exposure to something, you're going to make the assumption it's going to be worse. So if you like hmm. post in there, especially if somebody's like maybe a little bit more introverted and yeah. they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to like thank somebody for something and everybody's going to read that and be like, oh, this guy's such a weirdo. Right. Like, yeah, why yeah, would yeah. you thank them for that? And that's not even something you didn't even thank them for something good. And like, right. we obviously know that nobody's going to have that reaction. In fact, it might be the opposite of like, oh, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Brian post in here. That's really cool. I'm really glad to see that Brian is yeah. like making an effort to do that. Um, but getting someone over that, you know, it's kind of, a, I got almost an element of like social anxiety of mm-hmm. like, you know, going out there, like if you don't talk to people ever saying hi to the person that's standing next to you, yeah. that might seem like an over overwhelming task, you know, an unbearable task. So um, yeah, it's, it's like, I know it's one of those ones where I think a lot of things that you've mentioned, it's like, it's just sort of, um, 
it's trickier than yeah. it's like sounds simple, right? right. Just like yeah, just thank people yeah. like once a whatever. Um, yeah. Just th- thank them for for doing whatever it is that they're doing. Um, but there's a lot of difficulty in actually getting there and making that happen. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, John, I just wanted to. I, I know we're running. We're running deep on time here i just wanted to cover like one more thing so i, I sure. know that you mentioned you've been you've been remote with kinsta for a long time i think a lot of people are obviously um hopefully i don't need to go into too much detail about why the world is like kind of a remote and, and a lot of people are kind of looking like hey maybe this is just the way it's going to be moving forward it's kind of to, to maybe close this out a little bit i don't know if you have any sort of tips or tricks i know a lot of people have spoken to this but you you've gotten you have deep experience like this is not just like a recent thing for you you've been working in the in remote environment so yeah I, I don't know if you have any <clears throat> advice to share of being a remote team or leading a remote team uh, I think you've shared some of it indirectly sure through some of these systems that you've talked about but I don't know anything that you have that you yeah. can sort of share as like best practices for for people to kind of take away yeah so uh, I'll speak to it as uh, as a manager because uh, that's how I approach or that's how I think about remote working these days so there are a couple of key things I try to do as a manager uh, that I think are probably specific to being remote. One of them is I, I did sit down and think about like, how does my work planning process work relative to the teams that I work with, right? So hmm. I, I sat down and I wrote down like, legal uses this Trello board. IT uses this Trello board. HR tracks their goals in this spreadsheet. This is how often they meet to talk about them. This is how often I'm going to go in and review and add comments and those sorts of things. So we do have like an explicit agreement between myself and all the folks who I work with on those various teams about this is how we set priorities. This is how we track what we're working on. And it's an async process, right? So it, and it doesn't have to be the same process. As I mentioned, two of my teams are using Trello and one of them just has goals written down in a spreadsheet that we review monthly. And, and that's fine. They, I, I want my teams to use the tools and the processes that fit their work the best. But I did sit down and, and say, these are the tools we're using. This is how often I'm going to check them. And we have established a cadence to check in on them. So that's, that's one thing is having agreement on how do you identify priorities and track progress on those priorities. Two, I have a standing check-in meeting with everybody who reports directly to me. And I encourage all of my managers, well, all of my managers are required to do the same. The cadence they can vary based on their needs and the needs of the folks that they manage directly. But I do want everybody that I work with to have a direct meeting with me. Again, uh, with some of them, it's once a week. With some of them, it's every two weeks. And the agenda for those meetings is up to them. Uh, Occasionally, well, I would say most of the time, I have one or two things that I want to touch on. But the majority of the meeting is just for them to talk about how is work going for them? What challenges are they up against? It's less about getting a status update because I'm getting that through the Trello or the spreadsheet that we're using to track goals. It's more about like, what are you stuck on? What are the challenges? What questions do you have? It's an opportunity where they know I can bounce ideas off of John, get his feedback on these various things, or I can just share what's going on in my life and how that might be affecting my schedule or, or, you know, whatever else that might be going sure. on personally that that's coming mm-hmm. to bear. So 
that those are those are two. I have a third one, but so the first was like having agreement on how are you going to set priorities or goals and track them. Second is like having established check-in points in a regular cadence for folks to touch base. Uh, the third one is put as much as you can in writing. And so mm. we do a lot of written communication in Slack. If we if we have one of those check-in meetings, I just had a check-in meeting with my manager, Mark. Uh, on Tuesday. And as a part of that, like we had a conversation about how do we set company level priorities and goals. And I just jotted down a bunch of notes and tossed them into our shared DM because I wanted us to have a shared record of what did we discuss. And so putting things in writing, whether it's like, hey, we had a conversation. These are the things that we agreed upon or putting a, you know, a policy or a process or whatever into writing in an agreed upon place. For us, that's Confluence. We use Confluence as our like documentation source of truth. If you want to use Google Docs to create a document, that's great. It's not a document. It's not a policy till it's in Confluence. You get that thing into Confluence and then right. that's where people expect to find it. Right. And so I would say those are the three things that I place a lot of weight on as I try to manage operations at Kinsta, having agreed upon way that we communicate around priorities and projects and progress, having regular check-in meetings with everybody that I work with directly, and then putting as much as possible into writing in a shared context, like in a context that Mm. we've agreed, this is where our documentation is going to live. Right. Everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody knows. The, you need information. Yeah. Go to Confluence. Use the search tool. Almost certainly going to be something addressing your question in there. And I, I found that such a nice heuristic for the team as well, especially in the remote context of people say, well, where is this or where is that? Mm-hmm. And usually the first thing you can say is like, well, did you check Confluence? Yeah. Um, and then they either say yes or no. Hopefully they say, well, actually... Maybe it doesn't matter, hopefully, yes or no. But if they, they did, then that indicates like, hey, we're missing something. Yeah. There's something that we needed to, and that kind of kind of fuels the, the writing yeah, absolutely. engine of like, okay, well, we need to document something. We need to add something here. Yeah. Uh, and if they say no, then you say, hey, go. Yeah, go, go check it. Check. It's there. And yeah, then it it's prob- probably there. Yeah. And if it's not, we'll make sure it gets there. Yeah. Um, awesome. Cool. All right, John. Well, I'm sure we could we could keep talking uh, for at least another couple of hours here, but um, I want to be thoughtful of your time. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing. It's such a, a cool journey that you've gone through from, you know, kind of joining as an individual contributor and working your way all the way up and kind of just getting getting bumped and bumped and bumped until you yeah. can't, you know, uh, you hit, the, hit the ceiling. And so that's really cool. I, I really appreciate you sharing and a lot of what you shared um, I think it's like particularly relevant to us right now, probably yeah. because those are the questions that I asked. Yeah. I asked a lot of questions to solve some of my problems. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks again so much for, for coming on. I, I, I really appreciate it. Um, I guess we'll have links to everything in, in the um, description and as we share this, but any kind of specific places you want people to uh, to go to or any if they want to learn more or whatever whatever the case is? Yeah, so I, I would follow Kinsta on Twitter uh, and, and just check out the, the Kinsta website, kinsta.com. I myself am not super active uh, anywhere on yep. the internet, so yeah, I would point everybody just straight towards the official uh, Kinsta uh, profiles. And, and there's actually a brand new one uh, that'll be that just went live here recently and probably by the time this episode comes out we'll really be really active Kinsta Academy so check out the Kinsta Academy cool. one of our newest uh, initiatives at Kinsta that I think uh, folks will be interested in checking out beautiful 
All right, John, thanks so much for joining us. All right, Brian, thanks for having me. It was fun. My pleasure. That was our conversation with John Penland, Chief Operating Officer of Tinsta. If you need a better way to manage your WordPress site, you know where to go, tinsta.com. If it's business analytics and growth tools you're looking for, check us out at bearmetrics.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and invite you to check out our other founder chats. And if you're able to share with a friend or leave a review, it goes a long way. Thanks for listening.